Get ready, it's time. Motherhood Talk Radio, starring Sandra Beck, is the most powerful voice in women's issues today. As the owner of Motherhood Incorporated, Sandra brings you inspiring, influential, and interesting resources to help you navigate everything from childcare to corporate formation. Each episode of Motherhood Talk Radio features guests who all have a story, experts in their field, and information you won't want to miss. We bring you everything from the latest crafting tips to how to be sexy in your 40s. From great parenting tips to moms facing some tough challenges, and most importantly, how to bounce back with style. Motherhood Talk Radio helps you make a difference in your world and the world around us. Being all you can be starts right here, right now. Let's do it. Here's your host, Sandra Beck. Hey, everybody. This is Sandra Beck, and I have such a great show today. I have a wonderful, special surprise co-host. Her name is Angela Breidenbach, and she's amazing. She's written tons of books. She is the president of all sorts of cool things. I'm going to butcher her introduction today. So I'm just going to throw the mic over to her and have her introduce herself. And we're also going to be visiting with author Terry Reed. And, you know, it's super fun because these these summer shows about books Angie, they're just so much fun to do with you. I look forward to our June or July every year. We always have a good time. So tell everybody how wonderful you are. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Hi, my name is Angela Breidenbach. I'm the president of the Christian Authors Network, and I'm also a member of the Faith, Hope, and Love chapter of Romance Writers of America. And um, we're being visited today in my office by Muse, my feline personal assistant. <laughs> He's literally over here yowling at me to give him treats, and he's already stuck his face into my water. So if you guys think that there's anything going on in your world that feels out of control, trust me, mine just went wonky. So oh, I love that. I have a surly, grumpy middle schooler who has to vacuum the van, and you would think I'd asked him, you know, to climb Mount Everest. And my other one is upstairs. I can hear him rattling because I think he just dropped a bar of soap. The his bathroom's right above mine, and I say, "Look, the only time I don't want you to take a shower is when I'm on the air." And I just heard clunk. <laughs> so well, I had Terry the Reed. Terry Reed, welcome to the show. What what wonderful wackiness do you have today in your household? Well, hello. Thank you for having me today. Oh gosh, I have two dogs that are very dependent on mommy <laughs> and don't like when mommy goes away into her room without them. So you may hear them barking. Um, one is blind, and so he doesn't know where I am, and the other one's a big Australian shepherd who just barks. Because. <laughs> okay. Well, you know what? That's okay. It's brilliant shepherd. And they yeah. do bark a lot. They're, they are so smart and they have to be kept busy all the time. Just like they us do. authors. That's right. That's right. So I do agility with my big dog. So that's our, that's my hobby. <laughs> that's really, I mean, I just, I have three dogs. I have, we have chicken, nugget, soapy, peanut, and Sally. And Sally was a deployment dog that came to live with us and never oh, left. That's wonderful. Yeah. And, and chicken nugget belonged to an air force family. And so we adopted him when their family moved overseas. And 
um, he looks like a chicken nugget. He's chicken nugget colored. <laughs> He's like this random collection of dog parts, but he is the most... Oh, he's got one big ear. He's got one little ear. His front feet are short and turned out, and his back feet are like long terrier feet. So he kind of looks like an RV that's not balanced properly. <laughs> but, you funny. know, he's a lovable dog, and they're a big part of our lives. So any animals that want to come on the show today and lend their voices, we're happy to have them. <laughs> I'm wonderful. Okay, they right will. Now. I'm bribing him with some kitty treats to keep him kind of away from my keyboard because he likes. And I would be squeaking him, like I'd be squeezing him to make him squeak. I used to do that to my kids <laughs> when they were little. I'd be like, "Mom, you know, Zachy's laughing," and I'd be like tickling him, tickling him, trying to get the phone to his head to, to for him to laugh to her, um, which probably could constitute child abuse today. I don't know. <laughs> You never know what one of these So we're going to talk books today, ladies. Um, gosh, you know, Angela, how many books have you written? I'm on my 18th. 18. And, and Terry, how about you? I'm this week. I believe it's 47, but it might be 48. I'm not sure. I mean, that's wow. crazy, you guys. I don't think I've done 48 <laughs> sit-ups or, you know, like 18 <laughs> laps around the gym, much less written this many books. You know... I want to know some secrets because I did, I, I actually wrote a book. I wrote a bunch of books in my twenties. I haven't done anything for 20 years and I recently finished one and it was a little bit like pulling teeth and everything had to stop, you know, like the house didn't get clean. I still had my company to run and do everything. And I gained four pounds because I wasn't hitting the gym. Normally I teach spin and I go every day. So pretty much I got fat and the house went to like crap and the kids got annoyed. So clearly I'm not doing something right. So how do you guys do it? How do you guys wrap it into your day? I'm going to go to Terry Reed first. Yeah, please do. I want to hear well, what she has to say. Yeah. <laughs> it's not glamorous, let me tell you. So writing is my job. And so that's kind of how I approach it. But, you know, just, I work from home, so there's still laundry to do and dogs to take care of. But I try to be at my desk from at least nine to about three or four, but that also includes getting up and taking the dogs out, going to agility practice, and when I remember to eat, eat. <laughs> so you're talking about gaining, I lose weight when I'm writing because I forget to eat. I'll just go all day, and by nighttime, I'm like, I didn't eat today. Oh, no. <laughs> I've so. had that happen, but then my writing really goes downhill because my blood sugar goes low. I've had low blood sugar my entire life since I, you know, and um, if I don't eat, I will, I, you never know what's going to show up on the page. <laughs> <laughs> I had a bag of Skittles. Sleepy. Like the big bag of Skittles, tropical fruit flavor got me through and I would just eat one every now and then, which is probably why I gained four pounds, but <laughs> you know, it's, it's not easy. Now, how do you guys no. handle... I have a hard time sitting still. And if I sit still for too long, like my legs stop functioning and then I get up and I walk around like Frank and mom for like, you know, like an hour or so till they warm up again. You know, do you guys get up and take breaks? Do you just sit there till your legs go numb? I mean, what do you do? I get up because I have the dogs. So <laughs> they don't let me sit for more than, you know, half hour, 40 minutes before they want to be let out. So I have to go let them out. And then I come back though. when I, the big dog gets to go out on an adventure every day so that I do get some uninterrupted time to write and I can sit for 
hours on end. So actually, my husband just bought me a stand-up desk because he said I have to start learning to write standing up. <laughs> Be careful of that, though, because um, standing too long without moving can can be difficult too so kind of vary it if i might suggest i i used to coach um physical fitness and oh okay um, vary your sitting and your standing so that's what my chiropractor said so yeah yeah it's really important for your for your back for everything so yeah um, well, and I tried I, my dad's peddler. Like he has this little old man yeah. that you put at the foot of his lazy boy and he'll pedal. But yeah. I end up like banging my knee on the desk, knocking over my water bottle. Like it's really not productive. Um, right. you know, but I am grateful. <laughs> you know, I'm grateful we get to work from home. Aren't you guys grateful? Yes. Oh, oh, I love that. So I'm trying to follow a, my circadian rhythm where I do things in 90 minute increments. And um, just kind of paying attention a little bit more to that. Because if I get up every 30, 40 minutes, like Terry does, I lose my train of thought. Me too. And I've started to recognize that if my body needs to go through these um, cycles, it doesn't just do it at night. It's doing it regularly. So I'm trying now to do, because I tried the hour on and 10 minutes off. And it just, it felt very disruptive. So I'm trying 90 minutes on, 15 minute break. 90 minutes on lunch, 90 minutes on 15 minute break, 90 minutes on get ready for dinner. That's what I'm, I'm trying. Try that because you That's know, I'm really a programmer cool. by trade. So I do this like kids, I'm going in my sensory deprivation tank. Like I pull down the shade. <laughs> I sit in my seat with a, you know, like this pillow on it. And then I just block out everything for like nine, 10 hours and usually write till three, four in the morning, but it's code, it's programming. So, but if I get interrupted, I'm like, danger, Will Robinson, danger. Like, you know, I don't know where I am. I I'm in this whole little universe. Um, but speaking of whole little universes, I want to thank our sponsor today, uh, which is Audible. And it's so perfect because our authors today, Angela, you have four books on Audible. Terry, you have two books on Audible. So uh, Angela has 11 Pipers Piping, The Debutante Queen, Taking the Plunge and a Healing Heart. That's Angela Breidenbach. And Terry Reed, you have Mission to Protect and Guardian. So if you guys are Amazon Prime members, for a limited time, you can start an Audible membership and save 66% on your first three months, a total of $30 off. That's like getting three months for the price of one. And you pay just $4.95 a month for the first three months. And after that, it's like $14.95 a month. Now, this offer is valid July 1st, 2019 through July 31st, 2019. And Audible members get a credit every month good for any audiobook in our store. And what I like about it, guys, is regardless of the price, you get it. So if the book is 50 bucks or 4 bucks, you know, you still you still get it. And I also like that the unused credits roll over. I have been an Audible member since 2015. And if you don't like an Audible book, you can exchange it for free. And Audible has the largest selection of audiobooks on the planet, which lets you fill your summer with more stories like 11 Pipers Piping or Mission to Protect. You know, the ladies that we have on the show today, you can listen to their audiobooks. Now, you're going to want to visit audible.com slash motherhood. That's spelled motherhood, M-O-T-H-E-R-H-O-O-D, or text motherhood, the same word, to 500-500 to get started today. That's visit audible.com slash motherhood, or text motherhood to 500-500 to get started today. And listen to these ladies' books. I do. They're so great because, you guys, I'm busy. 
I had my technology company to run. I do do syndicated radio. I have two kids. I'm a single mom. I take care of my 88-year-old dad. I have three rescued dogs, and I live on a horse ranch with two acres of brush clearance. So I love to listen to these books because by the end of my tech day, you guys, I'm tired of looking at a screen. I'll be honest. I don't want to look at a screen. My hands are often tired. Sometimes if I really worked a long day on the keyboard, I have to put my hands in ice. So the concept of holding a book is really difficult for me. So to have these, you know, audio books and listen to them in the bathtub while I'm doing yard work, while I'm cleaning the pools, while I'm drowning out my kids who are fighting. That's my favorite. I just keep cranking it up until I drown them out. Um, it's a great thing. So Angela, Brian, Bacteria, Reed, check out their books. Visit audible.com slash motherhood or text motherhood to 500, 500 to get started today. So girls, let's talk about your books. I mean, this is so phenomenal. What's the total? Like 60 some odd books between the two of you. That is true. That's a lot. That's a little crazy. Like you couldn't even read one a week and make it through a calendar year. Wow. (laughs) I know. I never thought of it that way. I didn't either. That's pretty. But hey, do that. Read a book a week. (laughs) You know what I do? I probably read, I kid you not, I probably read or listen to two to three uh, books a week because I get so many guests on my radio show. And Kara, or I'm sorry, Terry, this went to New York with me on the red eye. You can see my bookmark in there or your bookmark in there. I mean, it's really a big deal. Um, When you guys send me these things, I do read them. Sometimes I don't finish them. I'll be honest, you know, there's times I don't finish them before, but, um, before the interview, but yeah. Yeah. Can can you tell us what your book is about? Because she got your book that I didn't. Uh (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) So this is part of the continuity series. So there's eight books in total and my book is number five. What does that mean? I don't know what a continuity series is. So continuity series is there's an overarching mystery theme that goes through all the books. Okay. And each book is written by a different author. And each story has its own hero and heroine and its own romance and suspense, but it incorporates the overarching mystery. And then the mystery is solved in the last book, book eight. So, so my eight, book is it book takes five. eight books to solve the mystery is what you're saying. Yes. Yes. And are those the same characters? Like... Yes. Well, each book has a different hero and heroine. Got it. But all of the characters go in and out of each of the books. So you get oh. to visit with books from the past and get to meet the characters that are coming up in the future books. It's really a fun um, thing that Harlequin does. And I have readers who will buy all the books and then read them in like a big binge. Oh, yeah. Have, absolutely. Yeah. Binge reading. You got it. Right. Right. So when you're, when you're doing these, um, these series and these books, can you read them independently or do they also cover a time arc just like the, the mystery arc? Yes. So you can read them independently and that's how we try to write them, but there will be clues or, um, mentions of the overarching mystery, but it shouldn't overshadow the story of the actual book. So that's some tricky planning. Like it does. You have to plan out all eight books. Yes, yes. And a lot of the planning is done by the editors, and then they hand it to the authors. And I look at it like solving a puzzle. 
-hmm. that we have to take all these puzzle pieces and make it into something that's cohesive <laughs> and has a big pretty picture <laughs> so oh, that's yeah that's really so, cool yeah it's it's really fun this is like my 13th continuity i think in the last 15 years that i've been writing now does one um, author write all eight books or do multiple authors write the books so each book is written by a different author wow yes so we have to coordinate with each other and make sure that we're not stepping in on each other's toes with the mysteries or with each other's characters so we do a lot of back and forth and talking and it the other thing about i like about it is that writing can be very lonely you're sitting in your little cave office for hours on end by yourself and mm -hmm. there are days when i don't talk to anybody yeah except my husband when he comes home at the end of the day so this is a really fun way for the authors to communicate with each other so we're text or not texting but emailing back and forth a lot and then we well, need you guys collaborate so. you're really a team yeah. right right we're a team and it's really fun Really so, nice. do you so this, use just a, an email loop, or do you guys just in, independently email, or do you use something like groups.io or Facebook groups? Or so we we do a loop, and we've used Yahoo for years, and we just moved to groups.io, yeah, which seems to be working just fine. And so, yeah, so then we all just you know, whenever an email comes in, we all look and chime in on the question, or you know. It's fun. So you have so, to yeah. keep in mind seven other books by seven right. other authors. Like right. to me, this is like, this is like the Navy SEALs of writers. Like, <laughs> you know, cause it's one thing to like get on Scrivener, you know, and plan everything out or use some of those things. It's another thing to go, wow, Terry, what are you thinking? Angela, what are you thinking? And then how do we make it all work together? And then right. <laughs> if, well, if, if you were to, sorry. Oh, sorry, but if a character pops in from Angie's book into your book and you need to have dialogue, you need to make sure that that's in that character's voice. Right. And you need right. to make sure you have descriptions and all that. Um, exactly. I know on Scrivener you can collaborate on one file, but I think groups.io is probably a better option because you can load files and right. not interact in somebody's direct script or, you know, that they're... Um, or work in pro I'm, I'm also working on screenplays, so brain script. <laughs> Not getting into somebody's um, format, you know, and messing it up because you're right. working in their, in their right. um, book, that, which could be a real problem. And yes. one editor oversees the team of eight writers? Yes. So we have one editor who, um, she reads all of the books, and then we have a, a continuity editor who reads them all, who's looking specifically at the elements that each book is supposed to incorporate and making sure that we're doing that and that it all makes sense. Are they in the, yeah. in the email loop with you guys? No, or? they are not. They okay. get the finished product and then yeah. they, they read it. So, yeah. so they don't get confused. I used to do continuity right. for CBS many years ago for, oh. for uh, soap operas. That was one of my oh, jobs when oh. I worked at CBS. And mm -hmm. yeah, you, you got to see it at the end because you just, you literally are a fact checker. Right. Yeah. You've right. got red hair yeah. in book one. Unless you dye it, you better have red hair in <laughs> no, okay, book yes. 
<laughs> Ladies, I'd like to thank our sponsor today. We're being sponsored today by Grove Collaborative. And Grove Collaborative is an online marketplace that delivers these all-natural home, beauty, and personal care products directly to your door, which you guys know is so great that we don't have to go out and shop. And it makes living a healthy lifestyle easy and accessible for you and your family. And every product they have is guaranteed to be healthy, effective, eco-friendly, and affordable so you can shop with confidence. Now, I have to tell you, I love Grove Collaborative. And the website, if you're following along at home, is grove.co. And I want you guys to go there and look because they have so many amazing products. Now, I'm a big fan of uh, Burt's Bees and I use a lot of their products. So I can get them there all in one place. And I can get things like the tinted, um, you know, the tinted lip balm. I can get that there. I can get um, all sorts of other cool things like the seedling tree-free paper towels. They've got recycled plastic trash bags. They have these cool reusable sandwich bags that I totally dig. And there's all sorts of neat things on there. So not only is it great for your family and great for everybody else, the environment, your pets, you name it, but it's a great place to go to buy gift basket products. And when you're looking for some something unique and something cool, it's really a great place to shop because I get a lot of really neat things there. Some of them you can't find in the local stores, so it does make you look kind of cool. And for a limited time, when your listeners go to grove.co slash motherhood and they place an order of $20 or more, you get a free five-piece cleaning set from Mrs. Meyer and Grove, and that's $30 value. So go to grove.co slash motherhood and get this exclusive offer, grove.co co slash motherhood you're going to find lots of cool things for yourself they've got some neat travel size stuff you know it's travel season so that's always handy and I really like that they have a lot of unique and different products that I can't find anywhere else. And so go get your free five-piece cleaning set when you place an order of $20 or more. Grove.co slash motherhood. You're going to be glad you did. So let's get back to talking about continuity because that is really detailed work. I can imagine that it kind of gives you a few gray hairs every now and then. Yes. So that is very true. In fact, I just today I'm working on another continuity um, and I, I have my one of the characters, she had blonde hair and then I was reading this description from book eight and I thought, oh, I got to change her because yep. <laughs> that's not her. She's no longer blonde. She's no longer blonde. Now she is a redhead. So. So it's funny that you would mention that. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, hair yeah. color, eye color. I mean, I've, yeah. I've caught those in books before where the character right, right. has blue eyes in the first chapter and then they're green by the end of the book. I'm like, did we have some genetic mishap that I missed? <laughs> I guess someday I want to do a, like a fantasy. I don't really want to write fantasy, but somehow I want to be able to because I get really tired. There's only so many eye colors, you know, and there's only right. so many ways to describe somebody. You know, you're, you're blonde, you're brunette, you're redhead, you know, you're light brown hair, you know, blue, brown, green eyes, you know, and it's like how many different colors in the world can you use to try to differentiate your character? That, that gets difficult. And I, I don't know, strawberry blonde, you know, and, and it seems like uh, red. Mine? mine is like, like pool green blonde. <laughs> 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 no. What are your characters? Train wrecks. 
you could do that with a character because you you know, if she, especially if, if she went and she dyed her hair blonde and she jumped in the pool, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> that could be a wonderful character. Um, yeah, that would be my character. Like my character would have the green hair. My character would fall into her mom's grave. I mean, which is a true story. Oh, no. I fall up to my knee. Oh, oh no. no. And my mom had a great sense of humor, so she would have loved it. No. That's no. <laughs> well, you know, when you just so everyone, you know, knows this for the future, when you go to the graveside and they're burying um an urn, they put a table down and then they put a green carpet. Well, I thought the green carpet was to walk on. Oh but the green carpets to cover the hole. So and my brother took a picture of it and put it on Facebook. <laughs> well, that's hilarious. Yeah, I'm gonna have to use that. Everybody, now we're clear. Don't walk on the green carpet. It's there to cover the hole. That's right. I may use that in a book. That may show up. Oh, good. Well, let me know. Give me, me, like, credit for it. But thank you, Sandra Beck, for sharing with us. How are you feeling? That's funny. And things, though, you know, some people think that funerals and death um, are always, you have to always be very somber. And, And in reality, some of the best uh, situations when you're when you're saying goodbye to a loved one are when you can remember the the funny moments, the poignant moments, you know. And um, we we turn for my dad's funeral. We actually uh, did it Disney style because he was a really big Disney fan, and we wore Disney T-shirts and Disney oh. outfits, and and we told all the funny stories about my dad. And it, I thought it was like a fantastic way to. Uh, mourn but I think you know when we're writing um, how we write very real is we truly write those funny things into existence and you know but but you write more suspense right I do yes so how do you do you have you actually lived suspense or how do you uh, write suspense if it's not your everyday life good question wow yeah so I have had some suspense in my life um, when my daughter was just under two, someone tried to kidnap her. No. So, yes. So that was very traumatic and I think may have started me down the path of wanting to be a suspense writer. Because <laughs> that was, you know, it was a very, very um, traumatic for me, but for her as well. I mean, she, you know, even at not quite two, she understood that a bad man tried to take her. And so, oh wow! Yeah, so that was. But I've. But in preparing to write suspense, I have gone to Citizens of Police Academy for my local sheriff's department, which was fascinating, and I think everyone should do that, even if you're not a writer. It's just learning about the different aspects of police work and why it's the way it is, and really learning who these men and women are that are. Um, you know, protecting and serving us. It was quite a great experience. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. And I think, you know, what, what you're talking about is so important because, you know, I grew up on the East Coast and then I moved to California and the, the track home, you know, group that I live in was populated by detectives and firemen because they said if you had a certain level of I don't know, achievement on these forces and on the fire department, you could buy a home for like X amount 
versus the, you know, regular people coming in. So every third house is like a police or a fireman. I have like three LA sheriff's department. I have like five LAPD and then five or six firemen. And a lot of those guys marry nurses. So if you (laughs) have the accident on, um, but I had no idea since, you know, I grew up in a small town. We had big John. He was like the six foot four New York state trooper. And he would pull you over and say, I'm going to tell your mother. And he could. <laughs> he knew everybody. And I'm like, but John, I'm just trying to get home before I ran out of gas. That's why I'm speeding. Um, speeding. <laughs> but you see them at barbecues and you see them um, at church. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. all of a sudden you realize, hey, these are somebody's father. They're somebody's husband. Right. They're somebody's brother. And, you know, where I had a big like awakening a big aha. And I really never understood like, you know, when they had a funeral on TV for the firemen or a funeral for, you know, I felt bad and everything, but I never really thought about how the wives and the children had to live with the idea that, you know, and I got this from the military, like mom or dad might not come home, but you know, it's like a long deployment, you know, there's one leave and come back months later in the fire and the police, it's like they leave and every day you don't know because of that danger and that job. And I think that's just, that was something I, I really didn't understand until I experienced it. Yeah, that's a huge um, issue. And I use that a lot in my, as a conflict in my books. <laughs> mm-hmm. Because, I mean, my husband was contemplating going into law enforcement. He ended up going into sales, but I remember thinking when we were dating and he was talking about that, I was thinking, oh my goodness, every day would, I wouldn't know if you'd come back, you know, and it's a little scary. And I just, so I, whenever I see police officers and first responders, I'm always praying that they just get home safely and always just say a little prayer for them because their their job is so hard. (laughs) Yeah. Wouldn't it be amazing if more of us did every time we saw someone serving, if we, we didn't even bother to say the thank you. Instead, we thanked God for their service and we prayed for them and their families. Right, yeah. put a hedge of protection That's, around them. Terry, right. that is exactly. a fabulous idea. And if you don't mind, I'm going to take that idea and do it myself. Yeah, no, please do. I think that, I mean, like I said, I, I have such respect and admiration for those who serve, mm-hmm. you know, from the EMT... The, the police chief, you know, it's, it's just, yeah, I think it's a good idea. <laughs> well, and you wrote, you must, you know, like you wrote a couple, like I see your mission to protect on Audible is a military canine unit, and then you have a classified canine unit. So did you spend time with the military community as well? You know, that one was a huge learning curve because I've written a, several of, um, my canine units are police dogs and police units and FBI units. And I have access to those people in real life just to answer questions. But for the military one, I had to do a lot of reading and research. And then within Romance Writers of America, which is um, part of what Faith, Hope, and Love chapter is, um, there are retired military people in there. And so I reached out and got to talk to a retired colonel of the Air Force and asked her tons of questions. And she was just amazing because writers help other writers. And that's such the beauty of our community. 
It really is. Yeah. I was sitting on the plane coming home from uh, Nashville this last week, and I'm in the middle of writing a book, and it's a it's set in Montana Territory in 1883, and I have a dog get injured, and I'm thinking, okay, I can go home, I can call my vet, I can ask them, you know, what what can I do? As it turns out, there was a veterinarian sitting right next to me, and so I I said. Uh, you know, I told her, I'm really sorry. I don't mean to be rude, but I'm on a deadline and I, and I have to work while I'm flying. She says, not a problem. And I said, you know, what do you do? And she says, she's a vet. And I didn't think about it. And I'm like, oh, okay, that's nice. And so she starts watching the show. Of course, in the middle of her show, who's the one who interrupts? Me. Because I go, I'm just about to write a little bit about this dog, you know. And I, and I go, tap, tap, tap. Can I ask you a question? <laughs> and she had so much fun talking to me about how would we take care of this animal if, if such and so happened to him? And, you know, yeah, that could work. That would be something I would suggest you do. And so it was really interesting how we tap into other writers, but we tap into people around us and have fun uh, learning from people sitting on a plane or from a, from a, a policeman or something like that. So many people are so generous with their time. And I think it's maybe a little bit novel when somebody goes tap, tap, tap. How do you do your job? <laughs> well, it's a compliment. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, you know, it's like it, nobody wants to be that person that's like, oh, hey, I'm a writer. Hey, I'm a radio host. Hey, I'm a, a nurse. Look at me. But then when somebody says like, you know, because most people hopefully do what they love. So you get to talk about, you know, what you love. When people ask me about the radio, I'm like, I get to make new friends every day. I get to learn something fun every day. Like, how great is that? Now, that would bore the crap out of somebody else, but for me, I love it. And or to talk or about scare it. them to death because right. people, you know, are afraid. <laughs> yeah, you know, they're like, oh my gosh, somebody's going to see my face on a video. Oh my gosh, somebody's going to hear my voice. And, you know, the first few times, well, the first many times, you hear your own voice over the air and you realize that that's what you really sound like to other people. You know, it's like, am I a squeaky chipmunk or am I a <laughs> Minnie Mouse? That's me. It is. Well, do you guys ever go back and like, I, I never, like I've been on the air almost 13 years now. So I never go back to my first seasons and any of the shows. Cause they're just awful you know <laughs> I did this one show one of my first shows was was with Dodia in the Pentagon and um, it was the Department of Education and uh, I didn't know any better and so I'm talking to the lady and she's like yes no oh no well we can no. look into that and I'm like oh I'm dying just shoot me now like it was the longest 55 minutes of my life and my friend Rick who was a, a ex-army is like keep going you're just you're just you're taking hit after hit just keep going and, you know and then you get better at it but you know sometimes people will go back and say hey you know you said this you know, in a show, and I'm like, yeah, I 10 years ago, I was a different person back then. Yeah. You guys find that with your writing. Like, if you go back and look at, like, something and go, ooh, that was kind of cringy, and then, like, now I wouldn't do that, or do you just blow off and, you know, keep moving forward? Oh, definitely. I mean, I have grown so much as a writer from the beginning to now. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Even just in the last couple of months, I'm like, oh, why didn't I, I, sh I know better than that. Why did I do that? You know, I'm on I'm on Quora, and I I don't know why I just like 
<laughs> I'm curious. So I'm always curious what people are thinking. So I'm on Quora. And um, somebody sent me a question that asked me, um, do you go back and read your journals and just throw them away? And my answer is no. Same thing with my books. Because like Terry said, you get better and better, you know, the more you do. But I don't throw them away. And it came from another writer years ago who said to me, you did the very best you could at that time. Yeah. Honor who you are now by honoring who you were then that helped you to become who you are now. Yeah, because you can't know what you don't know. But I burn all my journals, you guys. I write the most <laughs> awful things. Like, I have to be That's in a good funny. mood on the air, you know, sometimes four or five hours a day. So by the end of the day, I have all my meanies and those go right in my journal. Sometimes I'm like grabbing the pen and I'm like, oh, like, so, so I don't want anybody to ever read them any. Wait, 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 wait. I'm going to give you a tip. Never burn another journal. And here's why. When you're in fiction or creative nonfiction or whatever, your personality is your voice. It took me a long time to learn that. And whether it's positive or negative or whatever that's in the journal, um, what you have in there is a gold mine of words and terminology. And if you want to create a situation where it's a difficult situation for somebody to get through, you don't want all those marshmallow words. You want those deep, dark, heartfelt words. And, and uh, if you don't know what you normally would say, then it's, it's harder. So I take my positive, my prayer journal, my, my feelings or emotion journal is what I call it for the ones that I want to get all the yucky stuff out, right? And I look through there and look at what are common words I use. And you can take a highlighter, you can take, you can circle the words, whatever. And how do you put them together? You can really analyze your own writing voice through your journal. How many words are in the sentence? How poetic are you naturally? How emphatic are you? You know, there's so much in your journals to goldmine. You don't ever have to show them to anybody, but you might want to transfer some of those emotions into a character that you're trying to portray. There's my tip. Yeah, no, that's a good one. I mean, when I was, my, I got divorced, Terry, when my kids were two years old and three months old. So I stopped dating. My ex-husband didn't. So that's always a problem. (laughs) That's a great way to um, I had books and books. I mean, big fat ones too, like the eight and a half by 11s, like, you know, the big thick spiral bound ones. And, you know, it was really, um, it was hate speech. Let's be honest. Like it was like a whole <laughs> book of a hate, and um, yeah, you know. So, but yeah, there's part of me that wishes I had it sometimes. But I did find one that I hid in the back of my closet. Then when I was cleaning out my closet, like five years later, I sat down and read it, and I'm like, oh my god, I was a psycho. Like, <laughs> <laughs> but that's but, how we get our emotions out, and that's how yeah. we learn how we process things and how else are our characters going to process things? So I'm not saying to say exactly what you wrote. Yeah. But I'm saying examine the words you used and how the emotion poured out of you, because then that gives you a really natural way for emotion to be expressed on the page for your characters. So are you guys great feelers? Like, you know, do you feel a lot of feelings? Is that a big part of your writing or are you like a secret closet sneaky feeler? (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. Um, I would, well, for me, I, 
I think I'm very empathetic. That's one of my strengths for is being empathetic. And I try to incorporate that into my writing and try to really make my characters empathetic, even when it's a character that not necessarily should be empathetic. But they have to make them um, um, three-dimensional. Um, right. And if you don't have that empathy with them, it's kind of like the Michael Haug thing of um, if you you have to make your character have some likable trait, even if they're the villain, right, right from the beginning yeah. of the story, yeah. somehow, you know. Yeah, because no one is all bad. No one is all good. We're, right. You know. No, wait, in my divorce, I was all good. He was all bad. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I know that feeling and, and learning yeah. to, that's one thing I like about inspirational writing, like what Terry does and yeah. what I do, because the difference in these books are that there is some sort of redemption or forgiveness, some light at the end of the, of the dark, you know, part of the story. There has to be a way for that person or that character to find um, redemption and not all, not all books anymore are required to have, you know, the, the come to Jesus moment as we used to call it. Right. Yeah. But, but they are required to show consequences and uh, redemption, redeeming of, of something. So well, they're values, you know, right. like a book exactly. without yeah. values to me, like even like the kids and I watched Shazam last night totally cried at the end the kids were like mom i'm like oh you know there's foster kids and now they're superheroes you know and but i felt good you know and there's you know i guess the question is why are you reading the book like if i pick up a love inspired suspense terry reed seeking the truth i want to be entertained i want to be told a story i want to be able to sometimes cry when i can't because the yearbooks are great for unplugging like stopped up tears yeah. But I also want to know that everything's going to be all right in the end. And it gives me hope. Like, that's a big one. So when you guys sit down to write an inspirational, do you have like um like a Bible verse? Or do you have like a, a theme? Like, hey, this whole book is going to be about forgiveness or, you know, releasing shame. Like, do you have those high concepts or do they just blow out your fingers? So for me, um, a lot of times the theme will come as I'm writing, as mm -hmm. the characters start talking and I start to develop who they are and figure out what their issues are. Um, I always know that I'm going in with a happily ever after at the end. I mean, that's just a given, but how I get there will a lot determine on what, um, what choices I make as I'm writing and what lessons I want my characters to learn. And that's, I do have some reoccurring themes because they say, you know, writing is cheap therapy. So forgiveness, <laughs> um, you know, trusting God in moments when it feels like everything is just blowing up and there's just no help anywhere, but there is help. And so those are issues that I have that I always seem to somehow work into my writing <laughs> and have, and have my characters figure out how to get, how to have forgiveness or how to let go and trust. So trust is not easy. <laughs> yeah, I, I would agree. It's not easy. And I, and I think each individual writer does have uh, personal things that they deal with in their own life that naturally comes out in the writing that you don't expect. And I, I just did a big, uh, I did a TV interview for a pilot show. I don't know when it's coming out, but 
um, the, in, the host, she was asking me to go deeply into my, the story of my past. And I, you know, I did that for her with her privately, you know, before we went on air uh, over a matter of weeks, she would say, I need to know more about this. I need to know more about this. I'm trying to decide which direction to take the show. And it was a very in-depth interview. And what happened was time after time after time, I was completely unaware of this now at my age that uh, how many times in my life I've experienced betrayal. Mm. And I really didn't know that. And when I went back and looked at all of my different books, it is subtly there overcoming the pain of betrayal. And I had no idea until I went through that in-depth interview. Mm -hmm. And so each of my books I thought was, oh, this one's about forgiveness. This one's about learning courage, which they are, you know, and you know that right away. But now I'm like, wow, courage, confidence. And, you know, and then you start to candor, you know, and you start to look at each one of those books and you're like, oh, it's because she was betrayed. Oh, oh, it's because she was betrayed. <laughs> but it took me till, you know, then and now on the 18th book to recognize that even about myself. So sometimes there's that surface thing that you just know is there. And then there's something that's very subtle that you don't catch until later. And uh, readers do. <laughs> yes, they do. But we don't always. <laughs> well, yeah, because you can't work in your business and on your business. You know, we as readers have this eagle eye view. You know, it's like I used to sit in English class. I went to Northwestern for my undergraduate and graduate, and I, I was a journalism undergrad and an advertising grad. And I used to sit in these English classes, and they'd be, like, pontificating about, like, what the writer really meant. And I'm like, I bet you they just thought it was funny. Or I bet you they yep. just went with the flow. Like, you know, leave everybody else to, to determine the themes and the this and the foreshadowing. I mean, I think sometimes you plant those things in intentionally, but don't you feel that they just automatically unfold with a natural storyteller? Yeah, they do. I totally think they do. Sometimes my characters will go off and do something that I had not planned. I'm a, I'm a plotter, so I plot out my stories from beginning to end very very detailed wow. and but my characters will do something or say something and I'll think wow I didn't know you thought that way okay let's explore that and we'll go off on a little tangent and so it does definitely come out um and also I think whatever's going on in our own lives when we're writing will yeah. come out in into the writing um in seeking the truth um I was dealing with some very strong emotional anger towards the uh, press, <laughs> towards um, newspapers and, and just so not social media so much, but basically reporters. And so what happens? I have a book with a reporter and I have to make this <laughs> reporter sympathetic and likable. And I'm thinking, but I don't like reporters right now. <laughs> so it, it was, I think, you know, God really gave me this book so that I would work out my anger a little bit and have to get past it. <laughs> I would agree. So. And you don't know what's going on in someone's life. Like um, when I was writing a healing heart and it's a contemporary romance, which I tend to write more historical romances, you know, uh, we were, we were dealing with the loss of a pet dog that was a highly trained, highly beloved dog. And then I got in a car crash. And so it's like, um, and it was a pretty damaging one. 
So you're, you're going through this in your personal life and yet you still have a job to do. You still have to write that book, you know? And, um, and after, you know, we mentioned my dad dying, you know, after he died, it was many months before I could get back to, to writing because I just felt completely, uh, lost, you know, in that time. So you don't know what's going on, you know, in, in that writer's personal life at the same time as they're writing and how that can nuance their work. It's well, really- see, I love that because every once in a while I'll read a book and I'll be like, Oh, that writer really gets it. You know, especially, you know, for somebody like me, I'm, you know, I, I have a strong tech background. So identifying feelings for me isn't always the easiest. And a lot of times, like I'll process things way after the fact, like when it's happening, I just kind of, I'm like a pillar of salt, like (laughs) just sit there like completely frozen. And then like, you know, two months later, I'll run it over in my head and then I'll be like, oh, you know, wow, that felt bad. And then like, what did that, oh, that felt, and then you get a writer like you guys who, you know, there was one writer and I forget her name, but she wrote a whole thing about losing her mom. And when my mom died, I was like a mess for three years. My mom was my best friend, my biggest champion. She helped me through my divorce. Like, you know, so that hole for me was missing. And I didn't realize how much I depended on her. And, you know, I felt this loss so acutely, but the writer gave me words to go in and talk to my therapist about it. Cause she'd be like, well, I'd be like, I'm sad. She's like, yes, well, what are you sad about? I'm like, you're <laughs> like a stump. And then the writer, this writer that I read walked me through her whole grief and that helped give the languaging to my own feelings that I couldn't come up with. And that's, that's super cool when you write those experiences that you have from the heart, because you never know who you're going to help. Right. Right. And that's, my prayer whenever I write a book is that God will use this to touch somebody's heart in whatever way. Right. So that's, we don't need to yeah. know. Yeah. And I would, I would love to say that I'm constantly praying and constantly thinking that, but sometimes as a writer, just like in any other job, when you're given a deadline, sometimes I'm thinking, I'm never going to make this deadline. I'm just yes. being honest here. <laughs> I do do pray over the, over the book and over the words and over the people. But um, then I get, I I get that sense of of panic. And the interesting thing I find, and I'm curious about this for you, Terry, is that that sense of panic is almost the thing that drives me to write better. I don't know why. How about you? I'm not sure if it's better, just faster. (laughs) 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 yeah yeah so I my process is I write a really fast awful first draft and I Uh get it out as fast as I can and then I go back and polish it and I have critique partners who read it who will tell who will laugh at me and say were you falling asleep when you wrote this I'm like yes so you know it's it I layer through it um multiple times before I send it into the editor but at some point you just have to let it go, mm-hmm. especially when it's a deadline. <laughs> I would agree though. I write a really rough, rough draft and then I go back and I, I layer in, I look for missing pieces. I use the rhetorical device to make it uh, sing when you're, you know, in your head, when you're reading it. And um, I've often found great places where I've written ahead in my idea but not put in what you need to foreshadow 
And, right. oh, and then you go back and you, you know, and you yeah. add the foreshadowing in after the fact. <laughs> right, exactly. As long exactly. as it's there. Yeah. yeah. When I was working on my first book, you know, in my 40s, like in 50s, like not, you know, from my 20s, I was young and foolish and I could just write and not worry about anything. Then I got older and I got a little more self-conscious. Um, I worked with a coach, uh, Dr. Geraldine Tegelov out of Australia, and she had me do the coolest thing, guys. I use it not only for my tech business, but also for my writing the night before I, I'm going to work the next morning, like at my, I have it on my A-L-E-X-A, which sits next to me, so I can't see her name, or she'll start <laughs> chiming. Um, but I have a reminder that goes out at 1030 to set my intentions for tomorrow. So mm-hmm. I sit down with my, you know, like I, I thank God for all the gifts that I've been given. I really go to this, you know, grateful place. And then I say, God, please give me the wisdom tomorrow to finish my chapter, you know, guide my hands, guide my heart. And I do this for my tech biz as well as for my writing. And I find you guys, I go to sleep and like, I don't know, things are turning around in there. I get up, I blow through my morning when I sit down to do whatever work I intended to do. It's like magic. Solutions are there for my tech business, but also chapters flow freely. It's not like pulling teeth. So I encourage anybody who's a writer or creating anything, you know, whether you write books or digital code, you know, who cares what you write, set that intention the night before and then see what happens. It's kind of cool. I would agree. Cool. I'm going to, I'm going to borrow that because I, I pray and then, but, and I make a list next to my bed of what I need to do the next day, but I don't really pray over the list, but I'm going to. Yeah, That's just ask idea. God to guide your hands, guide right, your heart. Yeah. Sometimes I say, put your arm around me, keep my hand over my mouth if I'm going to say something stupid on the radio. <laughs> like, you know, just, <laughs> you know. No, I, I agree. There's this subconscious thing that goes on when, yeah. you, when, you, when you do these things right before you go to sleep. Um, there is a subconscious um, action that starts to create and and you percolate while you sleep you do i mean i find it really cool so set your alarm on your phone or set your alexa to remind you and and you know and it takes like two minutes nobody's saying you know you need to be you know like leo tolstoy you just talk about what you need to do tomorrow ask for guidance and help and you know i always say guide my hands and guide my heart that's good i like that i like that all right, you guys. So we got a couple minutes left. We're going to wrap up with the best piece of advice. And we're going to go with Angela first. I already gave mine, which is set your intentions the night before for what you're going to do the next day, whatever that looks like, whatever that may be. Um, Angela Breidenbach, what is your best piece of advice for the readers and, and maybe potential writers and current writers that are listening today? Start living your dream now, even if that's just taking a class or reading a craft book. Um, I was 40 in my forties before I ever started actually going after my dream of writing. And I kept allowing people to tell me, well, when this happens, then you can do it. When that happens, then you can do it. But I think those are distractions that keep you from living out the life that God built for you to live and no one else has the right. I don't care if they're your family, your your husband, your wife, your your children, uh, people at work. No one has the right to stop you from living out the life God has given you to live. Start now, even if it's just in small ways. 
Wow, that's really good advice. I know that's a tough one to top, Terry. Aren't you glad <laughs> I went first? Yeah. <laughs> well, mine's not quite so. <laughs> I would say for readers, just read. Read. Don't ever think that reading is not necessary because it's it's such a great escape and it's such a great relaxer and a way to relax your mind as well as your body. Um, for writers, I would say. Don't ever stop learning. Mm -hmm. Don't ever stop believing in yourself. Um, kind of piggybacking on what Angela said. Um, and be persistent. This this business is a lot about perseverance. It is. And if, and if you can't, you know, persevere through the rejections or through the bad reviews or through just the rewrites. The, the rewrites and just the hard time of actually getting those words out of your head onto the page. Mm -hmm. You know, you just have to persevere through that. Do the hard thing. That's, that's it. You just have to do the hard thing. I love that you said that because I've never had a book that I've been writing ever be during a good time. Meaning it's not ever going to be a good time is what I mean. <laughs> right. Because I've either got somebody passing away, somebody's wedding, somebody's, uh, you know, difficult time uh, change in life that I have to help them with, you know, uh, or I've been in a car accident. There's right. never a good time. Just like right. when you tell someone, when, when is it a good time to have children? There's never yeah. a good time. You make time. <laughs> That's true. That's true. All right, I guess. Well, Angela Breidenbach, Terry Reed, um, thank you so much for being our guest today. Uh, just a reminder to visit audible.com slash motherhood or text motherhood to 500, 500 to get 66% off your first three months at um, audible. And for those of you that are looking, go to Angela's books, 11 Pipers Piping, the debutante queen, taking the punch, and a healing heart are on audible and then for terry reed we have mission to protect and guardian and for those of you whose eyes get too tired to read at the end of the day like mine go ahead and pick up an audiobook you'll be glad you did we'll be back again next week Thanks for being with us today on Motherhood Talk Radio, starring Sandra Beck. Join us again. We've got something you won't want to miss. Motherhood Talk Radio is a production of Beck Multimedia.